Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. So in the past few hours, a judgment was handed down from an employment tribunal here in England, uh, which concerned the case of Maya Forstatter. There were some concerns in the senior leadership teams. A day later, I got an email from them saying goodbye. One of the most talked about cases of the past couple of years, and she joins us now live to tell us all about it. So give us the kind of headline for anyone who hasn't received the BBC News alert already. What happened in this judgment? So the original judgment was overturned. The original judgment was that gender critical beliefs are not worthy of respect in a democratic society. um, And that was overturned. So it was found that gender critical beliefs are worthy of respect and therefore people who hold them are protected from discrimination and harassment, both at work, but it will also apply um, as customers, uh, as public service users, as members of associations and political parties. So it's really, really widespread. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, a um, landmark judgment. So this will actually establish a precedent, just like any other court ruling that other courts are going to have to observe. So. I just I think I probably what we have to do is explain what gender critical beliefs means because people won't know what that means. So let's rewind, if it's okay with you, right back to uh, the start of 2019. Um, So you are at that point working for a think tank, you're a researcher, and you write a paper and an article about self-identification. Towards the end of 2018, about October 2018, I was working at a think tank, um, not on gender and sex. I was working on international tax, um, but I'd been paying attention to the debates around self-ID, the government's proposal to allow people to change their legal sex just by making a declaration. Um, And there was a consultation going on. And 
so I'd been following this debate and I could see that it was you know quite difficult to talk about and people were scared about talking about it and I thought you know I work at a think tank which is all about people exchanging ideas and disagreeing with each other um, and I had about 2,000 followers on Twitter and so I thought you know I should be able to be part of this debate and so I tweeted um, you know some quite uh, carefully worded tweets about you know you should contribute to this government consultation here's something to read you know it was very um uh, very carefully worded and then I had also tweeted about things that were in the newspaper so Karen White um the male sex offender who was put in a woman's prison and who went on to assault female prisoners I tweeted about um a man called Philip Bunce who works at Credit Suisse and who uh, on Fridays comes to work in a dress and a wig and had been given an award, an award by the FT as a top woman in business. So I'd, I'd sort of been tweeting about the issue, but also, you know, some examples of individual people. Um, and it got, uh, I worked for a think tank in London, but their headquarters is in Washington, D.C. And I think a couple of members of staff in Washington, D.C. saw my tweets and were felt uncomfortable and complained. I have to interrupt you there because I did uh, take the liberty of looking up the think tank. Uh, it's called the Centre for Global Development and listed right there are the funders of the think tank and there's a lot of money from the Gates Foundation, uh, there's a lot of money from the, I think they're called Moscovitz uh, family, which were one of the Facebook founders. Um, so, you know, without wishing to feel conspiracist about it, it does have the hallmark of that kind of elite big tech associated progressive American opinion that is sort of trying to establish orthodoxies at the moment. Yes, I, th I think that's right. And it, and um, as I understand it, the, the two people who um, raised concerns in Washington worked in fundraising. Um, so it, although I don't think the concerns came directly from funders, I'm sure that was in their mind. And it what they weren't there were no complaints that I harassed anybody. There were no trans people in the office. Um, so I think probably uh, indirectly that sort of concern of what would the funders think. So it's another, uh, another American import uh, for yes. us. So what, yes. ha what happened next, Maya? Um, so what happened next was they, they emailed. So HR in Washington, D.C. emailed me and said um, that we don't vet. So it was my personal Twitter account, but obviously, you know, I tweet about stuff I'm working on and and uh, they but it is my personal Twitter account. And so they emailed me from Washington and they said, we don't vet staff and associates uh, social media, but we ask them not to use exclusionary language. And they said there'd been some concerns and they said, could I put a disclaimer on my tweets that, you know, all views my own. So I replied and I said, yes, of course. And I said, um, that I would always treat people politely. I would use anyone's preferred pronouns, you know, in work or at a conference or any time I, you know, came into contact with a trans person professionally or socially. I didn't want to be rude or make anyone feel uncomfortable, but I did want to talk about the topic. And I would continue to say that trans women are not women. Um, you know, men cannot become women. And if that offends people then they will be offended uh, but it's true and it's important so I said so I said all of this in the email in a in an organization where I assumed that 
they would stand up for people having differences of views because it was, you know, it was the kind of place that wasn't about um, enforcing orthodoxies. It has a policy that uh, it doesn't take organisational positions. It's happy to disagree with each other on all kinds of things, but it turned out not on this thing. And then it progressed and they then, you continue to yeah. write about it and so, eventually they sacked you. Is that Pretty much. I mean, I don't say sacked because I wasn't handed a P45 because I wasn't on a full time contract at the time, but I was working um, on a project where we were developing a, a larger project. So, you know, my CV was in the proposal. I developed part of the proposal. I'd talked to the funders. And the idea was, you know, when when the funding was agreed, I would then, uh, you know, get the job to do the work, which is sort of a normal thing in in the NGO world and think tanks. So I was sort of expecting that when the when the proposal was agreed, I would then do the work. And at the point where the proposal was agreed, they said, actually, no, we don't. Well, first they said, we won't ask you to do it on an employment contract, but could you continue and do it on a consultancy contract as a visiting fellow? So a more arm's length relationship, as which was what I'd already had. And so I said, yes. And then that visiting fellowship had to be agreed by the senior leadership team. And there were some concerns in the senior leadership team. So then they said, oh, well, could you do it just as a consultant with no title, no email, no business cards, no, you know. You, invisibly. I, invisibly. And I said, um, at that point, I said, I'll think about it because, you know, I didn't think it was a good offer, but I, I didn't want to say no you know, or yes, I just said, I'll think about it. And then a day later, I got an email from them saying goodbye. So at that point, I mean, I guess in the days leading up to that, you're aware that you've kind of touched on this incredibly sensitive topic. And a lot of people at that point would have backtracked and sort of said, this might lose me my job. I'm not going to talk about this anymore. Why at that point did you stick to your guns? I think it's just, the person I am and you know the way that I'd got the job in the first place was by arguing with CGD over something that they'd got wrong about international tax and I'd taken a position which was um, uncomfortable for some of you know the, for the NGOs that are campaigning on international tax and CGD hired me on that basis and sort of backed me up when I, uh, you know, when people would say, why, why are you, um, why are you employing somebody who's not agreeing with the party line? Um, and they backed me up. And so you, so you thought they liked you being an independent thinker? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really did. And, and I think there are parts of the organisation that did. But, you know, on this, on this topic, um, it sort of gave in to the corporate, the corporate machine. Um, so, yeah, so partly I, that's the kind of person I am. What was the reaction like? You, you endured quite a backlash on, on social media and so on, didn't you? Tell us what happened. So what happened was um, March, this, so I lost my job um, March 6, 2019. And then, and I didn't realise, I didn't know anything about belief discrimination. I didn't, I didn't even think that I would have a case, but I tweeted that I'd lost my job. And um there were feminist lawyers that were sort of waiting for a test case. They had this idea about belief discrimination and they were had their eye out to see that there are lots of people losing jobs um, and they were looking for a test case. So then I took 
CGD to to Employment Tribunal and I had to launch the crowdfunder for that. So that's when I really first came into public knowledge, although it was, you know, now looking back, (laughs) um, it was quite calm compared to after J.K. Rowling. So there's been sort of this whole thing. So J.K. Rowling then tweeted in support of you and mentioned you in her long piece. After I lost the employment tribunal then jk rowling tweeted about it and then it became an international news story so you know my twitter follows have gone up like that and my, you know the amount of abuse and um what, what insult- sort of abuse do you get i mean what what is it they say um oh you know just uh cartoon guns pointed at you your hateful scum your you know just all all of that kind of stuff from mainly from sort of anonymous people with anime um profiles so i don't pay too much attention to it but you know i've had things from leading well from barristers uh you know saying you are a bigot for example and saying your language and your tweets leads to self-harm and leads to people killing themselves from you know barristers and and that uh, you know, that was quite shocking to me. But people behaving, anonymous people behaving badly on the internet, you know, there's not a lot you can do about that. But named professionals um, saying those kinds of things is quite is quite shocking. So let's actually look into what your transgression actually was. I was going to say your crime, but obviously that's the wrong uh, phrase. And if it was, you've been acquitted of it today. So what you believed and was saying openly is that there is a difference between the sexes and that a man can't become a woman just by believing they are so even if they've had surgery is that is that the sum of it yeah i mean it's the ordinary belief about the sexes that i think you know if you ask your mom or your grandma um or you know any scientist that's willing to be honest it's you know it's the basic belief about the sexes and the reason most people don't think about this. In fact, there's a lot of discussion at the moment. Is the culture war imaginary? You know, is it, was it exaggerated? Is it real? Um, most people don't come into contact with this question and it feels quite a sort of academic question. You know, that, oh, what, what are we arguing about transgender bathrooms or what's the latest controversy? Why do you think it's important? W- what are the things that it could actually affect that you think are worth fighting for? I think it's, it's particularly important for women's rights because it's women who are harmed the most when organizations pretend that sex doesn't exist. So, you know, most of public life, most of workplaces are mixed sex and you should treat men and women the same. But where you have provisions to treat men and women differently, it's usually to protect women. So, you you know, you have female sports, you have women's sports, because if you didn't, there'd be no women in the Olympics, there'd be no women in athletics. Um, You know, you have separate sex. I mean, bathrooms is, you know, is important. You have changing rooms, you have bathrooms that are separate sex for the dignity and privacy of both men and women, but particularly for women because uh, voyeurism and uh, exposure are really, really common crimes and they're done by men to women. So, you know, making it, absolutely unambiguous who's allowed into a space where women are undressing is is important um and then similarly you know women's refuges women's prisons they are 
sex segregated for a reason, and usually that reason protects women. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's also an interesting interplay with the gay rights controversy, isn't there? Because if you argue that there is no difference between the sexes, then someone who is only attracted to the same sex doesn't theoretically exist. Yes. And I think lots of organisations are approaching this thinking, you know, we were very late to the party on gay rights. We haven't, we we didn't think about um, how to treat gay people the same as the same as straight people in terms of, you know, employment, um, benefits and and so on and now we want to make that right and not make that same mistake again and there's the you know the kind of ghost of section 28 where schools were not allowed to teach about uh, gay relationships and so there's a sort of response to that which is well this time we're going to get it right this time we're not going to make those mistakes um but as you say if you if you don't accept that there's a difference between men and women then what does it mean to be to be gay or lesbian um, and, you know, lesbian friends tell me that like 40 percent of the profiles on lesbian dating sites are male. And, you know, it's like a bad joke, you know, of a man saying I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body. Um, but they're being subjected to that uh, in their spaces and their dating sites and their groups. And they're being told that if they don't accept that someone can be a lesbian in a man's body, then that they're a bigot. So how far do you think it's gone? You talk about these organisations who have either they've hired consultants to come in and do training or they've got programmes to educate people is normally the verb you hear. How far do you think it's gone? I mean, is it just a few 
government agencies and trendy kind of corporations? Or do you think it's lots and lots of organizations in our country? I think it's very widespread. So Stonewall um, says that it covers 25% of the UK workforce amongst it. So it has this champ Stonewall Diversity Champion Scheme where organizations sign up to Stonewall, pay them a um, few thousand pounds a year and get rated by them. And so they're basically paying to be lobbied. And they have 850 members, which includes lots of big corporations, law firms, major government departments, um, hospital, NHS trusts, police, um, housing associations. So you kind of look down the list and Stonewall, you know, disagreed with me in this case. They think that gender critical views should not be protected against discrimination and harassment. And they have um, influence over all of these parts of life. And, it, you know, I, I sort of looked down the list and I could imagine being a graduate going out for, you know, thinking about where I could get a job. And how could you possibly disagree with that when they um, when all of the major employers are signed up to it? And And my employer wasn't signed up to Stonewall, but they, you know, they're part of that wider um, influence. So it comes in through the sort of HR department, through the, uh, the, the administrative level of these organisations. They bring in agencies like Stonewall and suddenly people can't really join the organisation after that unless they have a particular set of what are yes. considered morally acceptable beliefs. Yes. And, you know, Stonewall started out as a gay rights organization and the Stonewall Diversity Champion Scheme has been going on for quite a long time. And when it first started out, it was sort of basics of gay rights in the workplace. So in some cases, organizations have been signed up for it for a long time. And, and each year the goalposts have moved um, and they just haven't thought about how does this impact on women um, and how does it impact on, on freedom of speech? And then they and then they can't get out of it. And one of the things that it asked them to do is set up um, affinity groups, you know, so the LGBTQ plus allies group who then sort of vet internal policies and um, make complaints about people and do reverse mentoring of senior managers. So there's, you know, they do the sort of thought policing within the organisation. Um, so that's, you know, that's for now very strongly embedded. And I, you know, I've heard from people in that since since I started the case and then set up, uh, we've set up a human rights organization, Sex Matters. You know, I hear from lots of people inside organizations that have these policies and, you know, they talk about the Stonewall Stasi in their organization. So is your hope then that today's judgment is a turning point in some way and your case? I mean, Frankly, you know, hearing you, I can see why they wanted to back you as a, a perfect example here, because you're so self-evidently thoughtful and not kind of reactionary crazy. Um, do you feel like you might be kind of leading the way for other people to be braver about saying what they really think? I hope so. I really, I really hope so. If I've done that, I will. I'll just be incredibly proud. Um, and I think you know the fact that both discrimination and harassment are now protected means that organizations are going to have to think hold on a second what does this policy mean for the people who, who are affected by it not just for the trans people and you know when they get complaints in one one thing that organizations are really scared of i think is saying 
no, that's not transphobia, because it's defined that saying no, that's not transphobia is transphobic. And so nobody within the organisation will say, no, hold on a second, that's just somebody disagreeing with you. Um, And so that's how these things escalate, because nobody is willing. They know that if they say that seems perfectly reasonable to me, um, they will then have the fingers pointed at them. Um, so, you know, so being able to push back against that is really important. In terms of the goal, what, what you want to see, it's not that you want this whole movement of trying to kind of make people more aware of minority issues. You don't want to remove it entirely. You just want to adapt it to be more kind of pluralist and, and less sort of one sided. Is that would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it, it's come to a point where you hear diversity and equality and you think, oh, God, they're out they're out to get me. And that's not what it should be. You know, equality should be protecting everybody's rights, um, including, you know, people's right to disagree with each other. And I think I think moving this issue into the belief, religion and belief um, sort of box is is helpful because it's helpful for how we think about this. You know, in a plural society, we know that people can go to work and you can have Sikhs and Muslims and Christians and atheists working alongside each other and they ought to be able to get on and be polite and not use the other person's religion to harass them. But at the same time, they don't have to give it so much respect um, that they are required to say things that they don't believe. I suppose one slight hesitation I have is this idea that it was a philosophical belief Um so the, the, the legal defense was that you would be discriminated against for having the philosophical belief that men and women were different, almost as if it's a sort of abstract, kooky, but hey, it's her religion, so, you know, don't touch it. Yeah, is there any so, sense in which that sets a new dangerous precedent? I don't think so. I mean, that was we had to plead it that way because religion and belief is protected. And the thing that we pleaded was that my belief is that sex is real, biological, immutable, and that sex matters. And that's the important part, that it's not just that it's a kind of scientific fact, but also that it's a social and political and economic um, salient, important thing. And there are some people who don't believe that and you know if you if you sort of talk enough with them they will say yes I understand sex is real but I think gender identity is is more important so that's the kind of the the split but it was quite important that the judgment said a lot of things and one of the things that it clarified was that in law sex is binary sex is male and female and you know some people think it's a spectrum and some people think people can be non-binary but in UK law, that's not recognised. And so people can believe all kinds of things. But we know that the science says women get pregnant, women are female, you know, and there are different reproductive roles for males and females. And those are reflected in law. So it's not that everyone can have their own rules, but everyone can have their own beliefs. And then where you have rules that are there for people's safety or for um, you know, medical information or the census, those rules, you know, still have to be grounded in reality. We're not sort of giving everything away. So you don't think, for example, if I'm a, a Muslim parent um, in Batley and Spen, and I'm not happy about my child receiving either sex education classes or being taught that homosexuality is not a sin, for example, I w- 
Is there no danger I now say, well, hey, Maya Forstater had a philosophical belief that was defended. I want mine too. Um, could there be unforeseen complications out of this? This judgment should, should help to make those kinds of debates um, kind of clearer and saner rather than at the moment, I think people look at them and, and all they can say is, well, who are the goodies and who are the baddies? This will hopefully should... allow the discussion to take place. Yes, least. exactly. And and to really look at what is the content of sex education, because, you know, you can put all kinds of things into sex education which are not age appropriate and which are not um, helpful for children. And, you know, the Department for Education has said that schools should not be teaching that children can be born in the wrong body and that or that if a child, uh, you know, doesn't feel comfortable with with sex stereotypes or wants to, you know, if a boy wants to wear a dress, that you should transition them. All of that has been put into sex education. So, you know, as you said, in, in the workplace, it's come in through HR, but in schools, a lot of it has come in through sex education. And in the same way that, um, you know, schools and education authorities kind of previously didn't do sex education well and were um, discriminatory towards you know anything other than than sort of new families you know they've they've pushed back the other way towards a kind of anything goes in sex education so I think you know it's another area where we have to open the box and say you know how how are children's rights being protected here so they need to they need to not be taboos they need to not be untouchable areas we need to be able to discuss them without fear for of retribution yeah. yeah and and people who challenge them shouldn't be seen as just well they must be bad they must be bigots mm. so you've got this judgment today what does it mean for you i mean does that mean you're now entitled to a compensation of some kind so there are three things that could happen one is uh my ex-employer could appeal this judgment so this was the preliminary hearing of this case so it was just to know is this belief in principle protected and so they could challenge this and then it would go on to the Court of Appeal or we could carry on with the case and it goes back to the Employment Tribunal to hear the rest of the case, which is how did I lose my job? How was I employed? What what those circumstances? Or they could settle. So if you are somebody in a workplace or a school or any of these organisations, as of today, you can say out loud without fear of retribution that you think men and women are different and that sex is real. Yes. And you can look at your organization's policies and say, do, do these policies discriminate against people with my view, um, in which case they should they should change the policy. So I think, you know, there's a there's a lot of work to be done to unpick this from institutions. Um, and that's why I've set up co-founded Sex Matters as a um, a human rights organization to protect people who have this have this belief, which is the belief that most people have, um, and to uh, challenge organisational capture. Have you heard from JK yet? Uh, she sent a congratulatory DM. Good. Well, we're awaiting her tweet. It should be, can't be long now. No. Well, she did. She's retweeted it. So I tweeted this morning and she has, she has retweeted it. Okay. Well, if you message her, we'll be happy to have her on the show as well. <laughs> Maya Forsata, congratulations on the result and thanks for coming on today. Thank you. That was Maya Forstater, a former researcher and now become something of a celebrity activist in the field of gender-critical thinking. 
which is a fancy name for the belief that men and women exist and are different and that sex exists and matters. So we'll see what happens after today's important verdict, but thanks to her for sharing her story and thanks for watching. This was Lockdown TV. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.